From her beginnings on a Navy drawing board, through the months of secret field experiments out on the western desert, then through the desperate search for new metals with property she needed, she was designed to be man's greatest weapon of the seas, the atom-powered submarine. Her engines were to be a miracle of speed and power. Her sides strong enough to withstand any blow, her armament and firepower of greater force than the worst enemy she might encounter. The mind of man had thought of everything, except that which was beyond his comprehension. I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. We are the men in black. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the Futurist of War. Resistance is futile. Jedi's strength flows from the Force, but beware of the dark side. Oh, man, that's kind of catchy. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. It's a gold titanium alloy. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is a reach call. You're listening to What's happening, everybody? This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is episode 586 for Sunday, May 8th, 2016. I'm back this week with another classic science fiction movie. Today's movie is a creature feature. It's the B-movie classic, It Came From Beneath the Sea. Before I get into this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. With that said, I'm going to play the trailer to this movie. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. I'll be back after the trailer with some movie information, and then I'll get into the movie. tidal wave of terror engulfs the screen as a raging monster from the dawn of creation attacks the world of man. Here, gentlemen, is your villain. It would take an enormous number of those to disable a Navy submarine. Or just one of enormous size, Mr. Chase. I see they picked an atom sub to go out and fight this thing. Why is that, Commander? Could be because of the new electronic equipment, or her speed. Was she ordered back here from Hawaii just for that? That's right. I think it's as bad as that deal. I think we're lucky she's here. The H-bomb blasted it loose from the depths of the Pacific. But not even the H-bomb can kill it. Unknown object coming this way. Entering minefield. Stand by, number 38, mine. Fire. Go up. Ready, number 12, south. Fire. Coming on through. 
Mr. That's the end of our first line of defense, Miss Joyce. Then the red alert. Coast reels under Holocaust as the men and weapons of the atomic age battle to the death against the ageless monster of the deep. It Came From Beneath the Sea is an American science fiction movie. It stars Kenneth Toby, Faith Demurg, and Donald Curtis. It was directed by Robert Gordon. The screenplay was written by Hal Smith and George Worthington Yates. The special effects were created by Ray Harryhausen. The movie was produced by Sam Katzman and Charles H. Schneer. It was released in July of 1959 and has a running time of 79 minutes. Here is some background information on the stars of today's movie. Starting at the top, Kenneth Toby. He was born March 23, 1917, in Oakland, California. He was an American stage, television, and film actor. He is best known for playing military officers in 1950s science fiction movies. He played an Army colonel in The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. He played an Air Force captain in The Thing from Another World. He plays a naval officer in today's movie. In the late 1950s, he created and starred in a popular adventure television show called The Whirlybirds. The show was about a helicopter charter company. He has 219 credits, according to IMDb. He kept busy in television and movies into the early 2000s. He passed away on December 22, 2002, at the age of 85. Next up, Faith Demurg. She was an American television and film actress. She was born Faith Marie Demurg on June 16, 1924, in New Orleans, Louisiana. She was adopted by Annabelle Wiemet when she was six weeks old. Annabelle married Leo Demurg in 1928. The family moved to California when she was three years old. She was discovered by a Warner Brothers talent scout while still in high school. After graduating high school, she was in a near-fatal car accident where she was thrown into the windshield. She would spend 18 months undergoing intensive plastic surgery. While recuperating from the accident, she attended a party aboard Howard Hughes's yacht. Howard Hughes was taken by her beauty and bought out her contract with Warner Brothers. He then signed her to a three-year contract with RKO Studios. Demurg and Hughes would have an on-and-off relationship until 1943 when Demurg found out that Hughes was also having a relationship with Jane Russell, Lana Turner, and Rita Hayworth. She would keep busy in television through the 1950s and 60s. She will be best remembered for her role in This Island Earth. She passed away April 4, 1999 at the age of 74. Last but not least, Donald Curtis. I couldn't find a lot of information about him, but I do know he was an American television and film actor. He was born Curtis Donald Rudolph in Cheney, Washington on February 27, 1915. He did lots of movies and television shows in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. He is best known for his roles in Spellbound, 
the Ten Commandments, and the Earth versus the Flying Saucers. He was also a noted author and lecturer. He passed away on May 22, 1997 at the age of 82. And that's all I have for movie information. Now let's get into the movie. The movie starts aboard a nuclear-powered submarine on its shakedown cruise in the Pacific Ocean. The commander of the submarine is Pete Matthews, played by Kenneth Toby. The submarine encounters a massive unidentified object. The sub is chased and eventually captured by this massive object. There's another beat from the sonar equipment, sir. Target, bearing 180, range, one findable oak. Nothing back there. Sonar still picks it up, Captain. Bearing. It's dead astern. Submerged about as deep as we are. Looks like it could be following us. Whales sometimes get playful out here in the Pacific. Scan's bigger than a whale. Another sub? Even bigger than a sub. It's closing in on us, Captain. You better take a look at this. Conning tower to control. Left, 20 degrees, rudder. New course, 300. Left, 20 degrees, rudder. New course, 300. The rudder is 20 degrees left, sir. What would you call that? Probably a short circuit in our sonar system showing up as an echo. Check it. I just did, Captain. It's working all right. Shall I check it again, sir? Never mind. It's really gaining on us, whatever it is. Getting closer, huh? It's close as 500 yards. Conning tower to maneuvering. All ahead, flank. All ahead, flank, sir. Get those atoms a poke. Give me everything you got. Aye, aye, sir. Losing it? No, sir. He just gained another 200 on us. Give me a sonar image. I want to see what this thing looks like. Griff, man battle stations. 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 Go to control and take the con. On a zigzag course, the usual escape pattern. Aye, aye, sir. Now, let's see what you got here. What do you call that? It's no whale, sir, that's for sure. It's no ship either. Let me check that wiring again. Keep me informed. I'm left 350. Left 350. And I'll check for okay, Captain. Bearing 120. Three, three, zero. Three, three, zero, sir. It's too close to be a range now, 
maneuvering. All stop. We're getting a radiation warning signal. Where's it coming from? That's my reactor, sir. It must be. Recheck your reactor. Reactor shield okay. Engine's okay. Nothing hot in here, sir. What happened to us? I don't know. All you men okay? Okay, but let's find out where that radiation's coming from before we're all fried. It's coming from outside the ship. Look. I don't figure it. I can't either, sir. I haven't got time to try now. Our sonar system's out. Fix it. Maneuvering. Let's pull out of here. All ahead, full. All ahead, full, sir. But we're standing still. That's not the engine's fault, sir. Keep pouring it on. You okay, Griff? Okay, here, sir. Surface. Volunteers to blast this loose. Get in your gear and stand by the escape hatch. Take a demolition charge. I'll take over. Aye, aye, Captain. Anybody hurt? Mac took an awful crack in the head here, Captain. Come on, Mac. How do you feel, Mac? All right. What's a fractured skull anyway? Is that damn thing still going? Not afraid of a little radiation, are you, Mac? I've heard it makes you so you can't have children, sir. Mac was married just before we left port, Captain. Congratulations, Mac. Thanks, Captain. We're counting on family, sir. We won't hang around out here any longer if we can help it. Volunteers are running out, sir. Hand me that thing. I'm going to rig in the bow diving plane to see if that'll free us. If it won't, just cross your fingers. Rig in bow diving planes. Aye, sir. That's doing it. Full rise on the stern planes. Full rise on the stern planes, I. We're loose, Captain. Speed's increasing. We're coming up, sir. That's a relief. Stand by the surface. Stand by the surface, I. The sub eventually breaks free from the object and surface. Divers are dispatched to check for damage and find the source of the radiation. They find a strange substance lodged in the stern dive planes. What's in your mind, Griff? Stern planes have filed. Show signs of radioactivity. Tell those swimmers to stay clear. I did, sir. down there? Chunk of stuff caught in a stern diving plane, sir. What kind of stuff? Rubber-like, Captain. What'd it look like? We didn't get too close. Cause what the exec said about the radioactivity. Looked more like a fish to me. It was more like a barrel. Barrel? Yes, sir. I believe it's stuck there till we get into dry dock. She's jammed solid, sir. All right, you men go below and get yourself some coffee. All right, sir. Hey, sir. 
your guess, Griff? Just going to ask you, sir. Privately? Privately? I'm keeping my mouth shut, and I'm advising you to do the same. The next time I cruise in these waters, I'm going to have torpedoes on board and warheads on them. How about officially? Officially? Shakedown cruise completed X-ray. Struck submerged object. X-ray damaged minor putting into Pearl for repairs. Have it coded and passed on to operation. Aye, uh, sir. Just hope that that's the end of it. When the sub returns to Pearl Harbor, the strange substance is given to marine biologist Dr. John Carter, played by Donald Curtis, and Dr. Leslie Joyce, played by Faith DeMerg. After their initial exam, Leslie and John have determined that the substance came from a living creature. Couldn't be a mistake. You think so, Professor? It's tissue, all right. Where'd it come from? Some living creature? You mean all that hunk came from one living creature? That's right. You mean, that's not all one animal, there's more to it? A great deal more. Well, it'd be dead now, wouldn't it? I doubt it. Must be pretty big. Enormous. Doctor, what kind of a sea beast would be that large? What do you call it so I can stop calling it it? I have no idea. No, have I. Well, how do we find out? That will take time and research. I'll wire the university right away to get a leave of absence. The Navy will take care of that, Doctor. You can get started immediately. How about you, Professor? Working with Dr. Carter is every marine biologist's dream, but my school needs me. You can get along without me, I'm sure. Can we, Doctor? No. Forgive my ignorance, Doctor, but what makes her so unique? Professor Joyce is head of marine biology at the Southeastern Institute of Oceanography. I would say she's probably the outstanding authority on marine biology, with the possible exception of Vanderhume himself. Then we'll get him. Before you start looking, I may as well tell you, Vanderhume is dead. Over the next two weeks, John and Leslie continue their investigation of the substance. During the same time, Pete is now showing a personal interest in Leslie. You people work hard. It's our job. I didn't realize how hard. What are you trying to do, apologize? In a way. It's not necessary. I think it is. Let me explain something to you. A, I have been privileged to classify an unknown sea specimen. B, I have the honor of working with the great John Carter of Harvard, the inventor of analytical biology. And C, my mind just isn't attuned to discuss things on your level, Commander. I don't think you're being entirely fair, Miss Joyce. Look, I have been working for almost two weeks now without a decent night's sleep. I'm tired. I read your book on marine biology and your plankton theory and tracing surface currents. Strictly in the line of duty, of course. I'm sorry, Commander. Well, I'll tell you. I'll forgive you if you call me Pete. All right, Pete. But you have to let me get back to my work. Why don't you take a break? I have a reason. The Navy always has a reason. That's right. All right, maybe you're right. Tell me, he's a pretty nice guy, isn't he? He's wonderful. And you're pretty fond of him, aren't you? Fond? 
Why, he's magnificent. He's a brilliant scientist. His techniques are creative. What are you driving at? Oh, I uh, just thought I'd clear the atmosphere. Oh, human romance. <laughs> now you tell me something, Commander. Pete. All right. Pete. When you're driving that atomic submarine of yours, do you have much time for romance? <laughs> well, even if I did admit I had the time, where would I find the opportunity? You know, women aren't allowed aboard a submarine. Poor boy. I thought the Navy was uh, equipped for every emergency. Uh, for the record, are you tied up? I see what you mean. That mean you're not? Girl has to have some secrets, doesn't she? Finally, John and Leslie have discovered that the strange substance belongs to a giant octopus and bring their findings to naval officials. Here, gentlemen, is your villa. We take an enormous number of those to disable a Navy submarine. Or just one of enormous size, Mr. Chase. There's a squid on exhibit in the American Museum of Natural History, just under 100 feet in length. It came from the waters off the coast of Maine. Our Navy has never encountered one of those marine monsters before. How do you account for that? They only live at the extreme depths of the sea, Admiral. They almost never come up unless they're disturbed. Disturbed? By what? Hydrogen bombs. H-bombs have been blamed for every freak accident that's happened since, up to and including marine monsters being disturbed. Not disturbed, Mr. Chase. Hungry. Six days ago, we gave this fellow here a radioactive meal. Not a fatal dose, however. Now, here is what he likes best. His regular diet of small fish. Now watch. Ordinarily, cephalopods are not timid about catching a good meal. This fellow seems to be having difficulty, however. Why? We checked our answer with Professor Emoto in Tokyo. He concurs. Certain species of fish seem to be gifted with their own natural Geiger counter. So the giant fish's dinner knows when it's coming and swims away? In that case, he'd starve to death very quickly. Unless he finds some other creature to live on. Uh, what creature, for instance? Some higher form of life. Animals, possibly. Or even man. Uh, gentlemen, let's put together a hypothesis from what we know. In this area lie the Marshall Islands, where the H-bomb experiments took place. Wind and north equatorial current account for a drift of radioactivity in this direction, contaminating marine life on the way. Here lies the great Mindanao Deep, a chasm in the floor of the ocean so vast it has never been explored. This is where our monster must have lived, till recently, when he became radioactive and began to warn his natural prey out of the surrounding waters. He had to find other food or die. Forced to rise to the surface, he hunted along the Japanese current. There is evidence that he was swept in this direction. What evidence? Well, you may have read it yourself in the papers. About a month ago, part of the Japanese fishing fleet disappeared in these waters without a trace. Siberian seal fishing has been reported unaccountably bad. But the Japanese fishermen may have gone down on a typhoon. Who knows what's really happening in Siberia? There was an encounter here with Commander Matthew's submarine. Or are you going to question that as well? I have to question all of it. 
Perhaps Professor Joyce has another opinion to advance. No, I'm afraid not. We've had too little sleep in the last few days. If there's anything further you want to discuss, let uh, me know. That it. won't be necessary, thank you. You've given us enough to think of as it is. Before you go, do you mind giving us your reaction to our findings? That will be taken under advisement. Mr. Secretary. It's uh, been very enlightening. Thank you for all you've done. Good night. Good, Good night, night, sir. Later, a report comes in that a freighter is missing, and the search for survivors begins. The survivors are found and brought in for medical exams. The first sailor describes being attacked by a giant creature with tentacles. When he is sent to a psychiatrist, the other sailors refuse to say anything. Tell Admiral Norman the Polar Empress survivors are checking in. You boys had a rough time from what I hear. Take a deep breath. I have to check you over. What happened? Grabbed us, that's all. What do you mean it grabbed you? I mean something came up out of the water and grabbed our ship and pulled it under just like that. Another breath, please. Are you kidding me? Why would I be kidding you? Something came up out of the water. Something like uh, what, for instance? Something like, well, like those. Only big. The biggest you ever saw. Ain't I right? They'll tell you. And then another one came up at us and grabbed the ship. And another one. And a whole lot of them. And they dragged it under. Just like I told you. I keep seeing those things coming up at us. Been drinking? What do you find a drink on a life raft outside of water? A blow on the head. Anything like that. I'm all right. Don't you believe me about, about those? Of course I believe you about those. Why shouldn't I? Yost, I want you to go along with this fellow. He's just going to take you down the hall. There's a man there with a white smock just like mine. I want you to tell him all about those. See that he gets to dock. All right, you're next. How about you? Having any trouble with things like this? Who's this dark character? He's one of the staff here. We ain't seen anything like that. You can tell Doc for us, we ain't seen nothing. Leslie decides to use some of her feminine charm on the first sailor questioned. I think it's my turn now. Tell them to let him go. But not till after I get there. Send it call, please. And uh, don't come back unless I call you. Yes, ma'am. Doc? Mm-hmm. He's through there, down the hall. 
Mm. What do you want him for? Oh, well, that's kind of personal. Besides, <laughs> I don't think you'd believe me, even if I told you. I don't believe anything you told me. Sit down. Mm. Over here. Well, it's kind of funny, but uh, I saw the strangest thing. Well, all I can say is stay away from Doc. Why? He'll make out you're sick. Sick in the head. That's ridiculous. Why should he do that? No kidding. That's what he thinks I am. Have you been seeing things? Me? Seeing things? Don't be silly. Well, sort of. Tell me what. I'm not telling nobody. Want me to get bounced back at Doc again? What sort of things that you see? I asked you first. Okay. But if you say I said this, I'll say I didn't. You won't believe this, but something happened to a ship I was on. She went down with all hands, except me and a few others. I saw it happen with my own two eyes. You know what did it? It was a giant octopus. The government then halts all sea traffic in the North Pacific without revealing the reason to other countries. John flies out to sea to trace a report of a missing weather ship. Pete and Leslie investigate a report of, of three missing people on the Oregon coast. The local sheriff takes Pete and Leslie to the site where the missing people disappeared. They discover a giant suction imprint in the sand and ask John to join them. After John arrives, the imprint is definitely identified as being made by a giant octopus. Pete demands that Leslie leave the hunt for the giant octopus. Maybe you can help me convince her that she ought to beat it and let the Navy take over this job. Beat it? What does she say? What's the difference what she says? Look, Pete, you don't see many women in the seagoing Navy. Are you kidding? Oh, shoreside women, sure. But there's a whole new breed who feel they're just as smart, just as courageous as men. And they are. They don't like to be overprotected. They don't like to have their initiative taken away from them. A, you'd want me to miss the opportunity to see this specimen, one that may never come again. B, you'd be making up my mind for me. And C, I not only don't like being pushed around, but you underestimate my ability to help in a crisis. My sympathies are entirely on her side. Didn't take me very long to lose that argument, did it? The sheriff is attacked and killed by the giant octopus in front of Pete and the scientists. They scramble off the beach and head for San Francisco, where the naval headquarters is located. The area around San Francisco has been mined and the Golden Gate Bridge is electrified. I've been asked what the Navy is doing in this emergency. Inasmuch as operational headquarters have been set up here in San Francisco, we will use this area as an example. Offshore minefields, together with radar and sonar warning devices set up on Golden Gate Bridge, should be more than adequate to keep the monster out of the Bay Area. A submarine net has been hung from Golden Gate Bridge itself, completely blocking the only entrance from the sea. Now, this is uh, primarily a warning device, but it's also capable of taking a charge of thousands of volts of electricity, which we've been advised will repel any form of marine life if it doesn't kill it. Now, is there anything I haven't touched on? You say that the monster could attack us in coastal waters and that it's dangerous to human life. What's being done to attack it? Professor Joyce will tell you. Our first problem, of course, is to locate the monster again. We're trying to do that now. Operations to John Carter. 
Have you seen anything yet? Over. Nothing. It's slow out here. Over. Professor Carter, this is Lieutenant Adams. Where are you? Over. Patrolling coastal waters. Over. What if you don't find anything? Over. We'll find something. We baited the surface out here with dead shark. Beast is bound to come up to eat. We've got several hundred planes watching for it in relay. We'll find it all right. Over. What'll you do when that happens? Bomb it from the air? Over. No. We've decided not to. We have good reason to believe that its destruction must be complete and instantaneous. We risk complete failure with a near miss, or if we merely wound it. The monster has only one vulnerable spot, one fatal target, its brain. We're going to try to take advantage of that in a certain way. Will you put Professor Joyce back on? Over. Go ahead, John Carter. Over. Well, Leslie. Take the newsmen down to the San Francisco Navy Yard and show them the weapon. That's all for now. Standby operations. Over and out. Leslie shows reporters a special jet-propelled torpedo, which they hope will kill the creature. Looks like any other torpedo, though. But it's not. You see, this has no propeller. It's jet-propelled. The Navy doesn't quite know what to make of it. Perhaps you'll explain to the boys where you got the idea. I spent all day yesterday at the Siemens Institute, talking to retired whaling men. This is the result. A warhead patterned after a harpoon is encased in the nose. Instead of exploding on contact, it's designed to penetrate and remain fixed in the monster's flesh. By means of spreading bombs. And what's going to destroy the thing? The explosive is sufficient to do that. The difference is that in this case, we set it off electronically. Once we're certain, it's dead on its tongue. Later that day, the giant octopus breaks through the sub submarine net and heads for San Francisco. The Navy orders the Golden Gate Bridge abandoned, but when John learns the electric current on the bridge remains on, he races onto the bridge and shuts off the power. At the same time, the bridge is attacked by the giant octopus. Pete jumps in a car and races out onto the bridge to rescue John before the section of bridge collapses. The residents of San Francisco panic as the giant octopus enters the city. Flamethrowers are used to drive the giant octopus back into the sea. Meanwhile, back on the sub, Pete launches a torpedo into the octopus. Then the octopus grabs and holds the sub. We're caught fast, sir. This is where we came in. What do we do now, sir? We stay and explode our torpedo and get blown apart ourselves and we think faster than we've ever thought before. I want a man to stand by the escape hatch. Break out an aqua lung and some of that plastic explosive we are issued. I nominate myself if you call for volunteers, sir. This is a personal matter, Griff. I'm reserving that pleasure for myself. Pete grabs some scuba gear and swims out to the octopus. He plants an explosive charge on the giant octopus, but is knocked out by the explosion. Then John suits up and swims out with a spear gun. He shoots the octopus in the eye, forcing it to release the sub. Then John pulls Pete to safety. When the sub gets a safe distance away, they detonate the torpedo, killing the octopus. Later, while celebrating, Leslie agrees to continue to see Pete after she and John finish their research project. The Army and the Navy and our gallant police and fire departments, these have all received the honors they deserve from a grateful city. But there are three others who served San Francisco who also must not be forgotten. 
And therefore, a memorial plaque today has been presented to those unsung heroes, the civilian defense volunteers, the crossing guards, and street railway employees of this city. Well, I guess that's it. The subs that ordered our patrol will be on sea duty for a few months. I'll be seeing you, John. Soon, I hope. Will I be seeing you, Leslie? You mean when I get back from Cairo? I mean women can change, move away, get married, have families. Well, there is that possibility, but um, A, there isn't time for that to happen to me. B, I can be reached at the school. And C, how would you like to collaborate with me on a book, How to Catch a Sea Beast? Hey, Doctor, you know you were right about this new breed of woman. And that's the end of the movie. Now it's time for some movie trivia. Because the budget of the movie was so low, Ray Harryhausen saved money by building his octopus with six tentacles instead of eight. Ray Harryhausen purchased the model of the ship that the octopus sinks from a five-and-dime store. Ray Harryhausen's father built the metal armature for the model of the octopus. The miniature cars in the Golden Gate Bridge were both made out of lead. San Francisco city officials refused to allow filmmakers to shoot on the real Golden Gate Bridge because they didn't want the public to think the bridge could actually fail. So Ray Harryhausen was forced to recreate the entire bridge in miniature. This film brought producer Charles H. Schneer and special effects legend Ray Harryhausen together. Their relationship would last until Clash of the Titans in 1981, which was the last feature film for both men. And that's all I have for movie trivia. Now it's time for the Star Trek Connection. Today's Star Trek Connection is Kenneth Toby. He appeared in the Deep Space Nine episode Shadowplay. He played an alien named Rurigen, who created his dead friends and a village as holograms. And that's all I have for the Star Trek connection. Now, here are my comments about today's movie. Today's movie was part of a four-movie collection called Sci-Fi Creature Classics. It's from Mill Creek Entertainment. The DVD has 20 Million Miles to Earth, The Giant Claw, Mothra, and today's movie. The sound and picture quality were, were fair. This DVD comes with no extras. I picked it up from Amazon for five bucks. It Came From Beneath the Sea was one of those movies that was always on a Saturday afternoon when I was a kid. It's the usual man's discovery of atomic power and its effects on nature story. The story is simple. H-bomb testing in the Pacific and lingering radiation has changed the feeding habits of a giant octopus. Instead of fish, it now hunts people. The story and acting were average. Kenneth Toby did his usual military guy in a science fiction movie where Faith Demur, Deberg, she did something a little different. She was a more independent woman. Most women in the 1950s science fiction movies are always falling down when the monster chases them. And Donald Curtis, he was okay as the scientist person. I would have rather had Richard Carlson or, or Philip Marlowe. It's not a great movie. But it's, it's a fun movie to watch. The special effects by Harry, Ray Harryhausen are awesome. They still look good to me. And he was the master of stop-motion animation. The scenes where the octopus were the best scenes of the movies. If you're a fan of the Ray Harryhausen, 
you will love this movie. If you haven't seen this movie, check it out. It's fun to watch. I would recommend this movie to all science fiction fans. On a scale from 1 to 10, I'll give this movie a 6. And those are my comments about the movie. Before I wrap up this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico again for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Rico will be back on the podcast next week. He will be doing a video cast from the Motor City Comic Con. I'll be back soon with another classic science fiction movie. Until then, everyone take care. This is M5 signing off.